Welcome to Killeries. This is not a Wu-Tang podcast. No, this is a podcast where we profile B-movie icons. That's right. We can be found everywhere on the internet at Killer Bees Podcast. That's Killer BS Podcast on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and at gmail.com. And we are on moviejohn.com. That's J-A-W-N, the Philadelphia John, mm-hmm. uh, part of the Movie John Podcast Network. We forgot to do our names. I think you need to put a note in there to do our names. Oh, that my name is Garrett Smith. And my name is Tori Potenza. We nailed it. <laughs> uh, I should put that note in there, shouldn't I? You should. Because right. sometimes you do it and then sometimes you don't. <laughs> yeah. Good point. Yep. I'll do that momentarily. <laughs> uh, we're also on Spotify now. You can find us on Spotify, which yep. is very exciting. Yeah. Uh, our artwork is by Alex Schneider. And our music is by Christine Rayburn and her partner, Pat. And Tori, today... We talk about Rucker Hauer. Yeah. I'm very excited. Oh, I also feel like I might be able to figure out what Pat's name, full name is. <laughs> I think I just saw that somewhere. So we might be able to actually like say Pat's name and like give him the full credit and not just like, you know, Christine's partner. Like, cool. Yeah. So <laughs> sounds great. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, we are really excited about this episode. Yep. And uh, we will start by talking about stuff that we watched. Yes. Uh, sounds good. Outside of these of his movies. Yeah. Um, which I think there's probably two we would like to talk about that are both from the same director. OK. Uh, we wanted to try to watch The Devils because it was leaving Shudder at the end of April. I think, or like within the fe- first couple days of like May or whatever, it was like leaving Shutter. Okay, um, and that was a Ken Russell movie. Yeah, and uh, I mean, we've always heard like really fun things about it. Shutter did not have like, I guess I think it's the unedited or uncut version. Yeah, hard to say. So I think what they have is like an uncut version. Yes, but there's still plenty of other stuff. Yes, that. We did find like YouTube of. clips of some yeah. of, and then I've like I think it's in um, House of Psychotic Women. Uh, Kira Janice like actually gives like a pretty in depth like discussion about that movie, yeah. and there's some scenes that I was waiting for that didn't show up that are like pretty graphic and messed up. Yeah. Um. So hopefully that'll be a thing we like get to see at some point. Is this like uh. I guess fully uncut. Fully uncut, yeah. yeah. But we liked it so much. I loved this movie. I yeah, it was I, great. I also think it's a great example. Maybe not a great example because it's not like I um I don't want to be about to be like, hey, we should allow for censorship. But like, it is an interesting example of like all the stuff that was missing. Once we went and found it, it was like, I get why the I get why they wanted to cut this. Yeah. Uh, it's unfortunate that it was cut. It's awesome, but it does not like. The movie works like without that material. Like I still, you know, yeah. get I got the movie without that material. I agree, but there's some stuff I'm very excited to see at some point. Hopefully, there's definitely some wild shit that yeah. was cut from this movie uh, that was like really uh, interesting to see. There's also wild shit in this movie. Yeah, and it's it stars Oliver Reed. It yeah. takes place like around like I forget what period of time it is, but. Um, it is, uh, I would just say, like a medieval. Yeah, right? just medieval, like France, it takes place. And, uh, you know, I think you've mentioned a little bit that, like, you're not super into medieval movies. Not and I at feel all. like we've had two pretty good examples. One we'll talk about on this episode yeah. of, like, oh, these are, like, interesting, like, right. filmmakers doing medieval times. And that, like, pretty, mu- pretty much worked for both of us. Yeah. Um, it stars Oliver Reed, who is, like, always a madman and also someone we probably <laughs> should. Insane. Do for this podcast because, oh, yeah. uh, man, he has done so much fun stuff. Would love to. 
Yeah, and he's got like a really awesome mustache in this movie. Uh, oh yeah, he is. He does have an interesting look going on here. He's, he's kind of like a sex symbol to like every woman in this movie. Yes. Like everyone wants to fuck Oliver Reed's yeah. character, uh, and he's like a not a priest, I don't think, but he's some. He's like in the upper echelons, like of the church. And all the women, including the nuns, like really want to fuck this dude. Yeah, yeah. there's like a whole thing going on in this movie yeah. about like uh, I don't know, like righteousness and stuff, and like yeah. he is a sinning preacher. Yeah, he's like kind a really of. bad preacher. Yeah, and then but, but everyone's really bad yes. at what they're doing. But there's like a lot about class struggle in yeah. it. It talks about like the royals at the time and the bourgeois kind of class that yeah. are. Uh, you know, picking apart this like community and he becomes a figurehead and uh, is kind of like witch hunted, not necessarily for the bad stuff that he's already doing, but for like other stuff that they're accusing him of, which is really interesting. Really interesting the way they parallel like what he's actually doing versus what they accuse him of doing. Also really interesting that the movie takes place like basically within a walled city where it's unclear like why yeah. it is this it's way like off. Yeah. but they're like not only fully walled off but basically like cut off yeah maybe because the plague has bro- i mean the plague has definitely broken out there unclear yeah. if that's why it's like fully sealed off or if it's always like that yeah but there's definitely a weird kind of like plague aspect of this movie yeah. where like watching it in 2021 it's like mm-hmm. a movie that's just about like Hey, these times of great great chaos are times of great opportunity for evil yeah. people around the globe. You for know, sure. like it's yeah. uh yeah, really interesting movie to be watching right now. And I then, really liked it. Also like incredible uh filmmaking and like set design yeah. especially. Like it's this movie we're like, oh, like we need to watch all of Ken Russell's it's movies. C- it's incredible looking. Uh because the other one, which like I kind of bought unrelated to all of yes. this, but uh there was a arrow sale and so I bought uh Michael Kaji's collection for female prisoner scorpion and uh the stray cat rock and then i also bought crimes of passion uh, (laughs) which stars kathleen turner and anthony hopkins also from director ken russell Uh, anthony perkins anthony perkins did i say hopkins you did oh man different very different actor very different actor but anthony perkins is someone we will definitely talk about at some point and uh i have really enjoyed seeking out some of his other non-psycho related movies although he still ends up doing psycho stuff in non-psycho things yeah like including this movie multiple of the movies we've watched of his have like pretty direct references to uh his performance as norman yeah and he's kind of like a fucked up preacher that obviously has these like sexual hang-ups yes uh and he becomes obsessed with kathleen turner whose name is china blue she's a sex worker yes uh it's a v- another real weird movie, but like another one that I loved. Like I really enjoyed this movie. I liked this movie even more than I liked The Devils, yeah. and I fucking loved The Devils. Yeah. I thought Crimes of Passion was like incredible. Yeah, it's a pop tart of all pop tarts. Yeah, it's like as neon as movies have ever been. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes with like multiple layers of multiple shades of yeah. neon in a scene, it's like wonderful to look at. Yeah, um, but it's also like this. It's doing this great, interesting thing where it's like paralleling, you know, the lives of these two people. Like mm-hmm. one is like a a so uh, a quote unquote normal life is like a domestic quote yeah. unquote normal life, and one is a quote unquote abnormal life where she's like living at night uh, as yeah. a sex worker. But it like parallels these two existences and how 
empty they are in some ways mm-hmm. and fulfilling they are in other ways and how the things that are empty in one are just as empty in the other and vice yeah. versa and they're not as different as they look and blah blah, blah. it's fascinating um yeah. dan and i actually did an episode of i like to movie movie on it yeah. um which you can look up if you're curious um and then i think the last one i want to mention also because we're going to talk about him a little bit today is uh we watched a paul verhoven movie i wanted to talk about this called too. basic instinct yes. which neither of us had ever seen nope. and i am i wanted to research for something i'll probably be writing for movie john and uh man it was so interesting to watch a movie that i remember being a young kid and this being like a a cultural kind of phenomenon at the time like it was a big deal and i've seen scenes from it but like it was so strange to actually sit down and watch it and like finally know what basic instinct was yeah our uh friend ryan silverstein uh from um Movie John, uh, he reviewed this on Letterboxd and was like, oh, this is what I imagined an R-rated movie was like when I was 12 years yep. old. And that's like a perfect description of what yeah. Basic Instinct is. And it's like, it's shot by Jan DeBont and it's like one of the most Jan DeBont movies yep. that Jan DeBont has ever Jan DeBonted. And <laughs> Rob Bottin does the makeup yes. effects, which you're like, oh, it's a sexy thriller. Why are there makeup effects? Well, you will find out at yeah. the very beginning of the movie. Uh, like immediately. And it's amazing. Yeah, it's just like for a movie that Again, is like accurately described as an erotic thriller. Yeah. Um, I did not realize how much the thriller part of that was actually yeah. like part of the equation. Yeah. I think in my brain, the erotic part was what like everybody kind of like described the movie as. Yeah. So I was always a little like, yeah, I mean, I guess I'll see that one day being kind of like, I, I don't know if I care that much about mm-hmm. like a, a sexy movie from the 90s. And it's like, it turns out the thriller part is actually like the most extreme part of the movie yeah. and what most of the movie, there's like car chases in it and stuff. Yep. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's amazing. We yeah. like, we watched a lot of really good movies in the past uh, yeah. couple weeks. Uh, and now I understand like the whole appeal of Sharon Stone. Like, God, oh, she yeah. is fucking gorgeous and terrifying and like i would probably let her murder me yeah like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the way they shoot the interrogation scenes with her yeah. where it's like this it, it it almost looks like a work of art right like it's this like concrete yeah. the, but this big wide concrete room mm-hmm. with like the shadows over her and so it's it's crazy it's yeah. so good i mean one thing that i thought was really interesting is she looks very similar to uh the lead actress in Hitchcock's uh, Vertigo. Okay. Uh, there's like in that scene in particular, she is styled in like a very similar like white coat that the lead in Vertigo wears. Okay. And she's also kind of supposed to be this like cold like wife type. So uh, I thought that was interesting too because this definitely feels like a Verhoeven homage to like uh, Hitchcock. H- Hitchcock. Stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That that makes sense to me. Like when you, because I wouldn't have thought of that, but you mentioned yeah. that when we watched it, and I was like, oh yeah, this does actually mm-hmm. have that kind of like. Yeah, because Hitchcock has his cool blondes, and this feels like the '90s version of that. Yeah, and even the way a Hitchcock movie kind of like spools outward. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like it starts really tight, and then like it turns out this story is like bigger and more sprawling and weirder. Like mm-hmm. it has that kind of vibe where it just yeah. like it keeps kind of spiraling further and further out of control. Where like the, I mean, like the whole movie is basically Sharon Stone like convincing Michael Douglas that he definitely wants to fuck and maybe be murdered by her. Yeah, and he's like, okay, yeah, <laughs> it's incredible. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, yeah, big fan of this movie. I loved uh, it. Verhoeven is also an amazing madman director that we love. I know. I'm like, it's been a really fun kind of, uh, he's like a filmmaker that I have liked for a really long time. And mm-hmm. it's been fun to like catch up on his movies with you, you know? Yeah. Oh my God. I am, I love almost all of them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's been really fun that like even stuff that I'm like yeah like RoboCop in some in some ways it's like RoboCop is like yeah it's like a boy movie but it's like it's not it's got a lot more going yeah. on than that so it was like it was nice that uh, you know yeah. uh, you, you were as on board for some of that stuff yeah and he's apparently got a new sexy nun movie coming out uh, way into especially <laughs> after into having it. watched The Devils which is also a sexy nun movie yep I'm, uh, I'm loving all of this by the way the, the Devils made me want to watch Black Narcissus with you I think that you would like that movie probably and and i think that it probably has some links there like more direct than i yeah. even uh, was thinking yeah um which is another cool movie cool yeah yeah well i'm, I'm definitely gonna do a non-sploitation dive at some point yeah, yeah. all right yeah. cool uh let, let's talk about rucker yeah so rucker Hauer. um so he's got 175 acting credits on imdb and i believe they're mostly shorts but he does have some like five producer credits and three director credits okay. as well um, I have this quote that I found in one of his interviews that I just like really loved, uh, and I feel like kind of sums up some of his acting. Um, so, oh, first off too, this is going to be a two-parter. So we're going to go up, uh, through the eighties yes. um, and we'll do nineties onward for our second part. Um, but yes, uh, for this quote, he says, my movies, my ideal movie is a movie where it's not on the screen. What the movie is about is not on the fucking screen. Now try to photograph that. You know, it's a dance and I've done it. So I know it's possible. If I haven't done it, I wouldn't know. But it but to me it tickles me enorm enorm enormously. Uh, just like a poem. A poem is a bunch of words arranged about something you don't see. A film is a language that you tell, but in this language you are telling another story. And when it comes through, it's theirs. They pick it up with their heads. That's fantastic. That is. It's so crazy. Such a esoteric uh, thought about uh, acting and what it is to tell a story through acting. But, but I like that. Yeah, and there's, I mean, especially when we talk about stuff like The Hitcher, like I feel like he's right. Like that's a movie yeah. where it feels especially like there's a lot that we're not seeing but they are like telling us it and yes. like we just have to pick up on those things yes yes that uh, makes which sense. is really interesting yeah and actually yeah that applies to a lot of his stuff you're right i think so yeah. yeah okay cool i'm i'm happy that we'll get to keep this in mind as we talk about yeah. some of his roles here uh so Rucker hauer was born january 23rd 1944 in uh brooklyn utrecht netherlands i'm okay. sure i just butchered that so apologies um on imdb they said his nickname is the dutch paul newman which i was like yeah i can see that okay that works yeah, i buy it um so he uh both of his parents were actors who operated in an acting school oh. um it, his parents were often touring um so he and his three sisters were typically raised by nannies okay. um his grandfather had been a captain of a schooner and at the age of 15 Howard ran away to work on a freighter for a year um like his great-grandfather Howard was colorblind which prevented him from furthering his career as a sailor which is interesting i didn't really think about like how color blindness would wow. be affect affect someone that way that's interesting yeah maybe something to do about like what you'd be able to like i don't, I don't know yeah. if that affects like depth perception or some yeah. other stuff that's interesting um 
Once he returned, um, he attended night school and started working in the construction industry. Um, he uh, then, like, kind of didn't do great at school, so his parents enrolled him in drama classes. Um, he was also an amateur poet and spent a lot of his time writing poetry and hanging out in the Amsterdam coffee houses instead of studying. I, I love that. I can, like, picture him doing these things. This, like, very much know. seems like uh, how he comes off, you know? Uh, he was eventually expelled for poor attendance and eventually uh, spent a brief period in the Dutch Navy. Okay. Um, but he was not, a, he did not like the military life. Um, and he started honing his acting skills. So he tried to convince his superiors in the Navy that he was mentally unfit and was sent to a special psych uh, hospital uh, and just kind of spent uh, time there until his ranking officers, like, we're like, okay, we don't need you in the military. Uh, and then he started acting. That's it's wild. wild. Such a wild beginning to this man's life. Um, so he first started acting in the 60s. Um, his One of his first roles, um, he had a recurring role on a Dutch television show called Floris. Um, and then in 1968, he was in a film called Monsieur Howarden, uh, but his scenes were deleted. Hmm. Um, and that was really all he did in the 60s. Um, he uh, has a little quote also on the Dutch film industry, just because we talked about like the Japanese film industry with yeah. Mako, and I was kind of interested. Um, he said, we have a fund that comes from the government that works for filmmakers trying to get their start. Uh, they are making some films there. I will say, even though I am Dutch, I don't think they travel very well. Filmmakers struggle with the fact um, that if it's not Dutch enough, they won't get the money to make it. I'm finding them on that, hoping that they will open up a bit. We need to go. We need to go out into the world with our films. Um, so it is an interesting idea about like the Dutch film industry kind of being more closed off. Yeah, um, uh, and there was like another clip of an interview that uh, you had showed me where he mm -hmm. talks a little bit about it as well mm -hmm. and says something about like we don't even have like great filmmakers. And yeah, I think it it's interesting tying that to this quote where mm -hmm. he's just kind of saying like. We're like they're so restricted in what they can yeah. even make, and it just like it doesn't really lead to like great yeah. films, really. Because I couldn't really tell you if I've seen much from Dutch filmmakers that like is like specifically Dutch. I mean, one thing is that you know he worked with Verhoeven a lot in right. the seventies, which we'll talk about. But like, I couldn't find most of his his early work. So like, it's it's yeah. interesting that like that stuff that was like from you know their their country, like pretty hard to get your hands on also yeah yeah he's right it didn't travel well yeah it did not yeah um so yeah we uh, get to his career in their 70s which honestly like we tried and a lot of the stuff we can't find because he was mostly still working um in in europe yeah um so a lot of it is pretty hard to get your hands on yeah even the early verhoven which we you know assumed because he's such a well-known filmmaker here we might be able to like find some of this stuff yeah. it's like it's not really that available yeah um, so in 1973, he was in a film called Turkish Delight, which was an early Paul Verhoeven movie. Um, so like very early on, he starts writing, working with Verhoeven. Um, and this was another one that we weren't really able to find. Yeah. Um, he's in a film that I truly cannot pronounce the title of, uh, but he plays the king in this role. And it's uh, essentially like a Rumpelstiltskin movie. It's like a Dutch 
film about Rumpelstiltskin. I think this is like Rumpelstilch, something like that. Yeah, it's it's got a lot of E's and J's and things, and it's <laughs> yeah. Um, in 1974, he was in a film called Hard to Remember, which was a German film. Um, it's he plays someone called Rick who returns home after months at sea, and his wife appears to have left him. He seeks comfort in drinks and women. Hmm. Uh, so this is one of his like you know early movies. The cover is like pretty funny. It's like obviously like a very young like a Rucker Hauer on a motorcycle. Mm. Um, and then in 1975, he does a film called The Willoughby Conspiracy, uh, which is available, uh, and we did, just didn't get a chance to watch it. But it stars Sidney uh, Poitier and Michael Caine. Yeah, uh, it's uh, about a black anti-apartheid activist and a British engineer are forced to run from South African secret police. Yeah, directed by Ralph Nelson. I did want to watch this. This mm-hmm. it, one is floating around there somewhere, I so think people it might are be interested. On Prime. Yeah, so it's like to be or Prime. Somebody has it. If, if people are. Yeah. Interested in seeing this, we were and just didn't get to make time for this. Yeah, um, but it sounds cool and obviously has a great cast. Yeah, um, and would love to see more of like young Rucker Hauer. Um, he uh, then in the same year, 1975, does a film called uh, Katie Tipple, which was another early Verhoeven. It's about a young girl who moves to Amsterdam in 1990 to in 1881 with her impoverished family and is led into prostitution in order to survive. Uh, in the process, she sees the corruption and influence of money, uh, which knowing it's Verhoeven uh, and it, yeah. you know being this movie about a sex worker, I'm like very interested in seeing this film, but one we definitely couldn't find. Yeah, I'm also interested <laughs> in like what a young Paul Verhoeven is doing in Me movies. Too. You know, yeah, um, yeah. Um, he then does a film the same year called Cold Blood, which was a German thriller. It's interesting to see that he bounces back and forth between a bunch of uh, European countries filmmakers. And you that know? continues throughout his career. Like even when we get to the second half of his career, a lot of films are like uh, international ones, yeah, which I was kind of surprised by. Um he does a film called The Year of the Cancer, which was a drama romance. I tried to find that one too and couldn't. Uh yeah, I know. And then there's one called Serrano de Bergerac, which was a Dutch TV movie. And then Max Havelaar, which was a Dutch drama. Hmm. Um, and then in 1977, he works with Verhoeven again, doing a film called Soldier of Orange, uh, which was a war film. Another uh, one I tried to find. Yeah. Could uh, not find it. During World War II, Dutch students joined the resistance movement against the German occupation of the Netherlands, which like is, a, you know, sounds kind of interesting, too. Um, yeah. I mean, this is like a two hour and 45 minute R rated. Like it says like romance yeah. thriller kind of like epic it seems like I, I i would be interested in that and i don't know if i've seen many world war ii things that are from like the perspective of like the dutch and yeah. stuff and i think that's kind of interesting agreed um in 1978 he does a dutch tv film about joan of arc which was based on the george bernard shaw play hmm. um and then he does uh one called mysteries a wealthy <laughs> visitor to a small town befriends a midget and gets involved with two women as his behavior becomes ever stranger which is such I mean, a funny that description that sounds like a movie i would enjoy uh to be honest yes. it sounds kind of like a david lynch plot <laughs> Uh, and then he, in 1979, does another film called, uh, which was a World War II drama called Women in a Twilight Garden, which okay. is such a nice it's name. It's a great title. 
then we get to his career in the 80s. So uh, in 1980, he does a film called Spetters, uh, again with Paul Verhoeven. Uh, several Dutch teenagers realize the cruel difference between dreams and reality. I mean, pretty good log line. <laughs> yes, it's so vague, but like, I'm so interested. I am too, especially because IMDb lists its genres as drama, romance, and sport. Yeah, I'm like, what's the sport? What is the sport part of this? Uh, and then in 1981, he comes to the U.S. and he does a film called Nighthawks. Nighthawks. Yeah. Oh, boy, did we watch Nighthawks? And everybody listening should immediately drop what they're doing and watch Nighthawks. I know. This is one that we both were pretty immediate. Like, we have to see this movie. I have really enjoyed watching more, like, uh, young Stallone movies, too. Um, I love that Stallone is, like, against all odds, a guy that you're just like, I'm kind of just falling for this guy. I don't know why. I know. <laughs> but, like, I don't know. Something about Over the Top and uh, yeah. really, like, did it for me. Because yeah. I, I haven't even fucking seen Rocky and stuff. Right, you I know, know yeah. Like, there's there's actually still some, like, good ones that you have uh, coming yeah, at you. but uh, really into young Stallone. Yeah. You know, and, before uh, he's like mega leathery and like really hard to listen to. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, also he's like in this movie he's like a bearded young Stallone, which I think is a which pretty good look a for very Stallone. Good look. Right. He's yeah. got a lot of interesting fashion in this movie. Yeah. Uh, uh, so let's tell people about this movie. This movie uh, stars Sylvester Stallone and one Billy D. Williams. Yes. Uh, yeah, they play uh, partners. Yeah. So they're cops that. I guess, I, I don't really know how to describe it, but they're usually, like, in disguises trying to, like, get... Uh... They're, they're, like, undercover cops. Yeah, they're undercover cops, kind of, but it's, like, very goofy, like, and it they're... starts with Stallone, like, dressed as, like, a nurse. Yeah, right. Like, an old nurse woman. Yeah. And uh, is, like, in drag, like, fighting these two guys that yes. are, like, trying to mug him. Yeah, yeah, the, right. They often end up in, like, full-on costume yes. for, like, things that they're doing. Yeah. yeah, because they're kind of buddy. Okay, Nighthawks has a really weird tone. Mm -hmm. Nighthawks is a movie that sometimes is a really serious thriller. Yes. And at other times is, like, a goofy buddy cop yeah. movie starring a maybe... Almost definitely blitzed on cocaine, Billy D. Williams and uh, 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 Sylvester Stallone. Yeah, um, and and Rucker Hauer uh, as the villain, who's a fucking great villain. I mean, he feels like he's the mold for yeah. um, uh, Hans Gruber. To well, me. it's it's wild because the movie starts and you're introduced to this this bomber. He's like this anarchist. Wolfgar. Yeah, he's this like anarchist that has been like setting off bombs and like killing people and doing all this stuff. But like, it does not look like Rucker Hauer at all. No. He's got like dark dark eyes, dark hair. He's got like weird facial hair. I think big glasses. Big glasses. Yeah, and you're just like, oh, that's like really weird. Like this is that Rucker Hauer? Like, because I haven't seen him yet, and he's supposedly the bad guy. And then, uh, like, pretty early on, they're like, oh, you fucked up. Everyone knows what you look like. You have to get plastic surgery. And then he's Rucker Hauer that yep. we know and love. They give him a face-off slash the guest, and he yeah. is then Rucker Hauer. But it's really weird because... I'm pretty sure it just is Rucker Hauer in the beginning of the movie. Yeah. There's with... something about like the bone structure that is like pretty similar where I'm like, that has to be him, but yeah. they somehow just did a really weird I, and interesting job I, with yes. the makeup. I agree, because like it yeah. it'll it looks enough not like him that I spent the whole time being like, Who the fuck is that? Yeah. Uh um, yeah, it's pretty remarkable. But he's great in this. He feels he's like so a prototype good. Hans Gruber type villain. Yeah. I mean the whole thing is like this international terrorist comes to New York and these two detectives have kind of like 
come to blows with him. Yeah, and, like, uh, one it, of the funny things that, like, they know about him is that he, when, in Nighthawks, when this character, like, goes to a new place, he, like, shacks up with a woman. Yes. So he, like, hangs out at clubs, and he finds a lady that he can, like, hide out with, and yes. then do his, like, evil biddings, like, yes. at her house. And so a big part of it is, like, oh, they have to go to clubs and, like, figure out which guy is him, which leads to one of our favorite scenes ever. Uh, okay, so the music in this movie is by Keith Emerson, uh, who you might know uh, from Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, which is like a prog rock band from the 70s. And this score is fucking nuts. Yeah. It's like very prog rocky, kind of disco-y. Sometimes people are singing really loudly. Mm -hmm. Other times it's just score. Sometimes the score is the score for the movie. Sometimes it's coming out of speakers in the club that you're in. It's really bizarre, but there's this incredible fucking scene where I'm not kidding for like 60 straight seconds, Sylvester Stallone and Rucker Hauer just stare at each other yep. from across a club. <laughs> while the craziest music while is this playing. While crazy music is playing. And it just keeps cutting back and forth between them as Rucker Hauer keeps dancing with a lady and Sylvester Stallone just stares at him until he finally screams, Wolfgar! <laughs> and then Wolfgar turns around and shoots at him in a public place. It's fucking crazy. It's so crazy. The the like first half of this movie is really good. I feel like it kind of drops off. And you had heard that like Nighthawks was like kind of edited. I, to yeah, death, so right? Scully Scully told me that like it's yeah. apparently a famously like just like cut to shit movie. Yeah. And I feel like you can kind of feel that in the movie because there's a lot of stuff that is really good yeah. and works kind of in its own vacuums. Yeah. But as a whole, it's kind of like tonally all over the place. Yeah. I mean, it, it's kind of after that scene where I feel like it falls apart. And that's yeah. about at like the 45 minutes. Like yeah, the half yeah. the movie's been yeah. over. But then it has that really incredible finale on the, the, really on the rail car. Yeah, that's true. Um, but like it feels disconnected from the movie you've been watching. Yeah. E even though it's really good. Very strange. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that I think is really funny, just to quickly go back to Stallone, is he Please. has like a really weird fashion sense yes, because he he's always undercover. Yeah. And at one point he goes and visits his like ex-wife or ex-girlfriend yeah. or whatever. And she like works at a department store as a fashion designer. Yeah. And I was like, oh, maybe that's why he's had such interesting clothing this whole time. Because he's like dating a fashion designer. And then he, she walks up to him and she goes, what are you wearing? Yeah, she's like, well, what is this garbage <laughs> trash bag that you're wearing? And then he's just like, oh. Yeah. Uh, but it's it was funny. Yeah. And like, you know, I, I I'm starting to love him. And he was so good looking in this. Young Billy D is so good looking. Oh, yeah. Rucker Hauer is so good looking. Yeah. It's like all these like very different looking men with very different style that yeah. are like, you know, rocking this movie. In a good looking, exciting movie yeah. that like didn't totally work. If I There's agree with you. There's great lighting it, in yeah. this movie. I yeah. agree with you that it kind of falls apart a little bit, but I do think it's like very entertaining and totally worth watching. I loved Nighthawks. Yeah. And honestly, this was a movie that like I don't know if I'd ever heard of this before. No, me neither. And then I was like, I saw it and saw the cast and was like, well, I have to watch yeah. this movie. Um, and then in the uh, same year, 1981, he does a film called Chanel Solitaire, which is a French film on the early life of Coco Chanel. Wild. Um, in 1982, he does a TV movie called Inside the Third Reich, <laughs> which I was wondering if like he keeps doing these like. Uh, 
World War II movies because he looks like very much like you know the blonde hair, blue eyes. It's got like I a little bit of that Aryan. Was nation. literally thinking the same sort yeah. of like he is the Uber bench. Like he's Which, like yeah, it makes so much sense that yeah. he continually does these movies. Yeah. Um, and then also in 1982, he does Blade Runner with oh, of uh, Ridley Scott. Uh, which is like one we've uh, both obviously seen several times. I mean, I assume this is the reason Rucker Hauer is a household name in America. Is, yes, is this movie? Yeah, I mean, like, he's yeah, he's such an iconic villain in this movie. Well, and I was thinking about it like right before we started recording, and I was like, okay, so I've definitely known the name Rucker Hauer like pretty much my whole life. Yeah. I think of him as an actor I really like, mm-hmm. and I really started thinking about it, and I was like, I think I'd seen him in exactly two movies before we started researching him mm-hmm. for this episode. I know. I so thought like, I had seen him in more stuff, too, and then I was like, no. So yeah. him being a household name, me knowing his name my whole life, like, that has to be Blade Runner. Yeah. You know? Like, that, which is wild that this movie is, like, yeah. that much of a cultural impact. And, I mean, it's still him pretty early into, like, doing, like, U.S. films and U.S. Yeah. directors. I think this is only, like, his third American film or yeah, something like that? I kind of brushed up on just like uh, a couple of the scenes because it's been a little bit since I've watched Blade Runner and like his accent is still a little thicker than I remember it and yeah. like in some other movies even like a few years from now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I watched uh, the finale with him, uh, him like chasing um, Harrison Ford's character through yes. the building. And then I also watched him when he kills uh, Tyrell. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Because I think that's a really impactful scene, too, when he's kind of just talking about, you know, his humanity and wanting to live. And it's I mean, yeah. you know, the the. I've seen this movie a couple of times now, uh, not in a while. But, uh, you know, the whole idea of just, like, I want more time. You know, I want to meet my maker, but, like, not really to meet my maker for any reason other than to be like, can you give me some more? Yeah. Y- you know? Like, yeah. um, it, there's something really, really interesting and tragic about that. And he... Yeah plays that so fucking well yeah and i like this movie too because like you know he's you know pretty much considered the antagonist throughout the whole film right but ultimately like his character is just like trying to live like they created these replicants to do their bidding and they just want to live their lives they're straight up like manufactured slaves you know and so yeah and they're just like i mean give me like literally any chance to live a life that is not that yeah uh and watching his uh his performance in this too he's really funny in this movie and he does this like kind of crazy smile a lot of the time too but then that ends like I you know I watch his monologue with the tears in the rain and that's like really moving and impactful Um, and it's it's just so interesting uh, how much he's doing in this movie it's also one of those great um, you know uh, in my opinion it's like one of the great pieces of like written script uh, uh, at least in movies that I've seen right Mm -hmm. Um, that speech is one of those almost Star Wars like speeches where it's like 50% of it is like words that like don't really mean anything mm. to the listener and the viewer. Yeah. Because they're like names for things that are, you know, part of the world building of yeah. this, but they don't mean anything to you. You've not seen these plays. It be- but like he imbues them mm. with like real emotion yeah. that you fully understand what it is he's conveying and you even kind of grasp the beauty that he must be describing even though he's describing things you've never seen you don't know what they might be it's it's a beautiful beautiful scene he's like i mean he's dying like he's about to like shut down essentially and he 
the thing he seems focused on is just the fact that like his memories will go away and right. and that's why he says like like tears in the, the, tears rain. In the rain and yeah. i was like oh my god what like a, a fascinating and sad way to like think about like dying yeah uh, right. just like all these memories will be gone yes They're that just they vanished they, yeah they they uh, are missed that yeah they, you know they, they yeah i was like uh, i was watching that today in the bookshop when i was working and just got like chills <laughs> i was like oh yeah man the uh, traverse into like the greater consciousness yeah. it, or it whatever. affected me much more than i think it has any time i've actually watched blade yeah. runner which was interesting yeah um it's a i mean it is a powerful powerful performance you know so much so that it's like i think everybody listening to this probably knows what we're talking about even if they've not seen blade runner yeah do you know what i mean yeah for sure um, and like he mentions working with Ridley Scott and one of the things he says is just like I understood on a very strong level what he wanted and by instinct I gave it to him half the time what the hell did I know I was just start I was just starting out to be an actor right there mm. uh, but he talks about like this one of the first movies he felt like he really like clicked and danced with this director and like knew what they wanted from him and I think that really comes through uh, in his performance which is cool yeah um, he and then he also also talks a little bit about uh, the scene where he kills Terrell. Mm -hmm. And he goes, you want to talk about that moment? It was my first day of shooting, but it was my third time in America. I had the best time there from the start. It was so exciting. Every moment I felt like I was giving Ridley something to work with and he liked it. The bond with Ridley was instantly there, uh, which is so cool. Wild to think about that being his first day on that movie. I know. Um, and then another thing he mentions, which I think is so funny, is uh, at the end with Harrison Ford is like falling off the building yeah. and he grabs him. He goes, he walks up to Ridley and he goes, Ridley, why the fuck does he save this guy? I remember standing over this fucking railing looking down and Ridley said, reflexes, reflexes. And I went, of course, of course. <laughs> it's like a bird. He knows you throw him food and he grabs it. And I was like, oh, that's such an interesting read yeah. on that end scene too wow. where he just instinctually grabs him not because he's like I want to save you he's just doing it yeah oh but uh, that's an interesting read though I'm now kind of like thinking about that where it's like but if he does have that instinct to do it is that instinct an indication again like of his actual humanity yeah it's an instinct to save another life yeah that, like so another you know like, maybe it is like a moment of him being like the most human yeah yeah, yeah. that's interesting um, so yeah, then after uh, Blade Runner in 1983, he does a drama called Eureka, starring Gene Hackman with director Nicholas Rogue, who did The Witches and Don't Look Now. Yeah, um, this um, was one we liked a lot. Yeah, we're uh, we liked Don't Look Now quite a bit. We watched yeah. that uh, I don't know a couple months ago. Yeah. Um, I tried to find this movie. It's not like hugely available, but I think it is out there. Like I think if people want to see this, they can. Yeah. Um, I've heard interesting things about this movie. I would like to see it. I like Gene yeah. Hackman. Yeah. Um, the same year he does a film called The Osterman Weekend, which we started and didn't finish because it looked really bad on oh. our TV. We had some uh, technical difficulties with a new television we were trying to buy. Well, and I also, I went and sort of, uh, I tried to watch it again on a different uh, source gotcha. and it's still, this, I think Tubi has this and it's one of those movies where it's like, I don't even know where Tubi got it or how, because it literally mm. looks like they ripped a VHS and put it up on yeah. Tubi. It's it's a very very yeah. poor quality screen. It's a it's a Sam Peckinpah movie, which, which is why we're interested. He's a director I yeah. know, and I don't th- actually think I've seen any of his stuff. Yeah. Um, but he did the uh, the Getaway and uh, I think the Wild Bunch. He did some interesting yeah. movies. Um, but yeah, this was like a. Uh, I guess I'm not totally sure how to spy it. Like a, a. Th- 
spy thriller yeah like a conspiracy thriller yeah conspiracy theory and yeah like we we started it it looked terrible on our tv and we just like a little bit had trouble following it but um it stars john hurt craig t nelson dennis hopper and chris sarandon crazy um, cast along with rucker hauer who we did see a scene with him before we turned it off um and he's like a he's got looks like he has like his own tv show he's like a, a news anchor kind of and just tears this military man apart yeah. like it's it's kind of an amazing scene that you're like oh this is really cool and i'm glad that we did get to at least watch that one part with him yeah me too i i wish that we had stuck it out and could have watched it just cuz i'm interested but also yeah. when we were it looked really bad uh, yeah. i think it is literally like a vhs source it looked really really yeah. bad and I did have trouble like following those opening yeah, like 20 minutes. Yeah, it's one minutes. of those movies where it's like it's this big conspiracy so like it opens up and they're just naming all of these names, they're telling you about all of this stuff that's going on and it's just like really hard to keep it all in your head. Yeah. And we were like okay, between like technical difficulties and this, like we're just yeah. not in the right mindset it fried for this my movie. Brain a little bit, yeah. Uh, but I mean, it's got such a great cast. I would love to uh, try it again. But the other funny thing too is like one of the lines was uh, they're talking to like the president or something, and he's like, he's like as American as they come. And I had no idea who he was talking about because so far the only people they had brought up were John Hurt and <laughs> Rucker Hauer, neither of whom yeah. were even playing Americans. Yeah. So I was like, I'm clearly not following this movie. Yeah. Um. He, in 1984, does a film called A Breed Apart, which stars Kathleen Turner and Powers Booth uh, about a conservative... A a conservationist. Conservationist. That's it. God damn it. Uh, A conservationist and a widow meet uh, a mountain climber hired to steal bald eagle eggs. I mean, I wanted to watch this movie just because... I would like to watch a movie about a bald eagle egg thief. I know. I think it sounds so uh, interesting. It's such a weird fucking... And Donald Pleasance is in this movie. Yeah, it's got an interesting cast. Uh, we obviously are now brand new fans of Kathleen Turner. I yeah. mean, I've seen her in a few other movies, but after um, Crimes of Passion, I'm a huge I'm Kathleen like, Turner I'm like, let's fan. do it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I did want to watch this movie. I do think this one is floating around out there if people want to watch it. Uh, somebody, yeah, I think like Prime has it right now. Um, so people can watch it. Um, in 1985, he then does a film called Lady Hawk, which stars Matthew Broderick and Michelle Pfeiffer. Uh, upon breaking out of a dungeon, youthful thief Gaston befriends Captain Navarre and his lover, Lady Isabelle Dijon. Uh, they enlist Gaston in a dangerous plot to overthrow the Bishop of Aquila and break his evil enchantment. Yeah. Uh, this is a movie that is also available, um... I think we eventually decided not to watch it because we had like just watched. Uh... We watched too many goddamn medieval movies. We watched a lot of podcast. medieval movies. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this is directed by Richard Donner, who mm-hmm. made the Superman movies yeah. with uh, Christopher Reeve, and I, you know, and he's a great director. Uh, I've liked plenty of his movies. I really love Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah, uh, Matthew Broderick has been good in some movies, although yeah. I cannot imagine him in a medieval movie even no. a little bit. He doesn't even like look at all like someone who yeah. could live in that time period. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but so I'm I am interested in this movie, but I just when it was like, okay, we have time to watch one more. What are we watching? I was like, I can't do another fucking people in armor and swinging swords movie. Totally fair. 
Uh, so then the same year he does Flesh and Blood, another medieval movie, which we did watch because it is another Verhoeven. Yes. Uh, and it stars, uh, uh, Rucker Howard, Jennifer Jason Lee, and it has Susan Terrell, who is someone else we recently discovered oh. we love from Butcher Baker, Nightmare Maker. Um, so this is one we, we watched, uh, and I just really like the plot synopsis that was on IMDb. In medieval Europe, a young girl from a noble family is obsessed with her captors commoners which okay. is such a weird way to describe this That's movie so weird way to she's describe like this captured movie. by rucker Hauer and his group of like they're like warriors yeah and they're, and they're like uh they're like uh conscripted warriors yeah, right they they're had like, just fought in a war in which they were promised all of these riches and then the bourgeois was like fuck you peasants i'm not giving you yeah. anything and so they're like fine we're like gonna take it from you yes and they capture jennifer jason lee's character who is a princess yes and she is kind of playing both sides a little bit. Like, it seems like she's still hoping to get rescued, but then she also starts fucking Rucker Howard, yeah. and you're like, I don't know what this girl is doing. There's a lot of, like, anytime she's on screen, it, it's unclear whether she's telling the truth to anyone she's talking yeah. to. Yeah. Which definitely has its own kind of, is its own, like, bag of hammers, where yeah. it's like, I mean, she's a woman who's literally in, like, a survival situation. Yeah. So, like, you know what I mean? Which Rucker like, Howard, I feel like, or not Rucker Howard, uh, Paul Verhoeven, I feel like, Really writes some interesting female characters. Yes, yeah. yeah. Uh, he, I think he likes to dig into that sort of like nebulous yeah. space of like, you know, uh, as soon as you bring sex into any equation, yeah. like how does it upend the yeah. dynamics? And because like everyone's looking at her, she's like kind of this manipulative bitch, and it's like, yeah, well, she's like just trying to live. Like, yeah. what other options does she have? Right. Like, she, you know, could be killed by these people. Yes. She's been raped by these yes. people already. Like, you know, a uh, right. trigger warning. There's like some, some weird rape scenes at the beginning of this movie. Yeah. Uh, the fucking plague is everywhere. Yes. Like she's just trying to like live it out as long as she can. Yeah. And it's like, this is a pretty, I mean, it's, so it's a medieval movie, but there's some really interesting, weird shit going on in this movie. Like yeah. there's a character that's really into building war machines. Yes. And there's like a whole sequence dedicated to like the assembly of and then execution and use of this like gigantic tank that they yeah. make out of fucking logs. Yeah. It's awesome. I fucking I was like, was oh, cool. uh, more movies should be about medieval war machines because yeah. it's fucking rules. Yeah, and you know it's another medieval one we watched, and I was like, okay, cool. I think I I I think I probably like medieval movies a little bit more than you do because yeah. I like a little bit more fantasy stuff yeah. anyway. Um, but it was another one I was like, well, like when it's done by a really interesting director, yes. like this is a pretty interesting time period to dig into with some of this stuff because it gets into some kind of interesting shit that I. I'd never really considered such as the plague is like rampaging Europe. Right. Yeah. And so ra ravaging Europe. And like, uh, so there's just this like abandoned keep that yeah. they find. Uh, or it's like, maybe it's not abandoned when they get to it, but like the numbers are dwindling there or whatever. And so mm -hmm. like, they're able to take it over pretty easily. And so yeah. then they just like, they just Live like have it. their own yeah. keep. But then they start trying to defend from like the bourgeois as they come yeah. to like attack and and get their princess back. It's yeah. like it's really interesting and weird and feels like very Verhovenian in, in plenty of ways. Yeah. It's fascinating. Um, and and Rucker's really good in it. I mean, the whole he thing uh, as a Verhoeven movie is that it's like there's really no good guys or bad guys here. It's like a yeah. lot of people just kind of like m making selfish decisions yeah. because. 
they live in fucking medieval Europe and yeah. nobody's really in charge. Like somebody's in charge and ostensibly, but not really. It's interesting too, because if you look at the poster for this movie and even watch the first like 10, 15 minutes of it, it by all accounts, it's like setting Rucker Hauer yeah. up to be the hero. He is the leader of this band of commoners. He just wants to like, you know, get the money he was promised and like live a better life. And then he just starts doing very bad, questionable things. And yeah. you're like, okay, he is not actually a good guy which, uh, you know, the bourgeois obviously isn't being, you know, painted that way either. So you're just like, man, everyone is really fucked up. And a lot of them are just trying to survive, but they're still doing really messed up stuff. Yeah, and I mean, the movie builds to, uh, I would say, the appropriate conclusion when you're sort of watching all these people do a lot of really heinous shit to each other. And, like, you start to feel like nobody really deserves Mm -hmm. to uh, have any kind of justice here. You know, like, it, it. it's pretty. I, I liked this movie. Me I too. thought it was pretty good. Um, one thing that was also pretty interesting uh, is that this is, I think, the last movie that Rucker and Verhoeven do together. Um, ah. But I did in an interview, like even in like 2016 or something, it seemed like Rucker was like, "Yeah, we're like still talking about like doing things together." So I mean, I would it seems like, like they st- kept in touch. I, I've I, this is the only one of theirs I've gotten to see, and yeah. I know he did a lot of work with him when they were yeah. still both working in uh, Holland. I I'm think. fascinated by it, and so I would like to see more of those movies because this is like an actor in a filmmaker i really really like and uh it would be interesting to see them reunite in some way yeah uh and then in 1986 he does what is probably my favorite role of his that i have seen so far uh he does the hitcher he plays john Ryder in the hitcher i'm gonna fully agree with you on that this movie fucking kicks ass um I'm really excited that we got to watch it together a couple times now because I saw this at Horrorthon a few years ago um, at uh, with a cine- not Cinepunks Exhumed Exhumed, uh, which was a fun experience, but it was like you know late night movie and they were doing like so many of them. So I think I've only seen kind of crappy like YouTube versions of this. Yeah. Um, but luckily, after we watched this, they like legit just announced that they're working on a new release of it. Yeah, they're working very on exciting. I think like a maybe like a Blu-ray for this movie yes. that uh, we would be. Uh, I mean, I'm gonna buy it instantly. Yes. This movie is so good. One of the ultimate like face melters, yeah. in my opinion. It's Rucker Hauer and uh, oh, crap, I always forget his name. Uh, C. Thomas Howell. Yes. Um, who is such a weird actor and is still doing like a lot of this like weird kind of B movie genre stuff now. Um, but I think this is like one of the few movies I've like really seen him in. He's pretty young in it. Um, and you know, he's just playing this young kid that's like going cross country. He's like doing, he's like trying to deliver like the car he's driving to California yeah. and like trying to move out there. And then he gets super tired and decides to pick up a hitcher thinking that will keep him awake, which it does because Rucker Hauer is a fucking psychopath in this movie and like wants to destroy this kid and everyone that comes uh, in contact with him. Yeah, this yeah. movie is like just kind of like endless, kind of inventive like set piece after yeah. set piece. It's also him and Jennifer Jason Lee again within like you know a year of each other, which he, is really interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. I yeah. I, I wonder uh, I, I wonder if there was like any kind of relationship there. Yeah. Um, you know, if they got along or whatever, because that that you know that's when she's pretty young still too. I yeah. mean, she plays like kind of like teenage characters in these movies. I'd say, I guess not yeah. teenage, but like 
I mean, they were fucking in uh, the movie the yeah. year before, so it's yeah, like really weird because yeah. the age difference does feel even wider in this right? movie. In this one, it feels like really yeah, wide. Yeah, because she's right? just like working at a diner and kind yeah. of gets like thrown into this weird situation between these two characters. Yeah. And that is what it is, like this cat and mouse game between these two guys yeah. um, that, you know, starts with um, C. Thomas Howell's character very much being like a victim to uh, Rucker. Mm-hmm. But as the movie kind of goes on, you know, Rucker drives him to the point of his own kind of madness. Yeah, he, like Rucker is like clearly trying to like awaken something in this kid. Yes. Um, it feels like it's maybe a little coded like homosexual yeah. like uh, relationship stuff as well, which I find really interesting. Sure. And I think noticed more this time around. Yeah, the danger of picking up a man off the side of a yes. road, right? Yeah. Um, for, uh, yeah. Because um, I, I, you know, I, I am to understand that I think in the 80s, especially that may have been a yeah. part of gay culture and then um, everyone keeps being like what's going on with you two yeah, like why yeah. do you have this weird thing with each other yeah. and you're just like you're you're so fascinated by it the whole time yeah. um and i think this kind of is like what rucker was saying it's like those things that we're not really saying in the right. movie but it's definitely there yes um Oh man, and there's he's that great, so like, oh, he's so good in this movie. There's that great like diner scene where yes. he just like sits across from him and kind of like needles him and teases him a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, and uh, C. Thomas Howell is great in this movie, mm-hmm. and and the the sort of development of his character uh, over the course of the movie as he starts to kind of reach his own fever pitch of madness yeah. uh, is really, really interesting and I think like really well executed on his part. The last time we watched this a couple months ago, I looked at my letterbox review and it was something about just how somehow Rucker Hauer manages to be terrifying, hilarious, and like utterly sexy in this yeah, movie. Yeah. And it, I don't understand it at all. He's yeah. so scary, but like I'm also like, ooh, damn. Yeah. And then he is like very funny at moments. Like yeah. there's the, I guess it's not really an interrogation but like he kind of goes in and see Thomas Howell like spits in his face and he's got this just amazing smile he's like beaming in the movie um he has like a there was a quick note I found on it which he also said this was like one of his like favorite roles to do um it's a beautiful movie too, it's by the so way. It's like good re- looking. looks really, really That's good. That's why I can't wait to like see a good yeah. transfer of it. Um, the Hitcher's game is basically deadly, and if you want to be honest about it, it's his last deadly game. But mm. he's the one who pictures himself to be dead. It's not really written, but it's in there. Some people get it, and some people don't. This is not a game where he wants the kid to not be the victor. He expects the kid to do just the right thing at the right time. That's from the Hitcher's. That makes Uh, sense to me. I actually do get that read in the movie that he like he wants this kid to fucking kill him. Yeah, and he's just like pushing him to do it. He's like, "How much shit do I have to do to you for you to actually just kill me?" Yeah, yeah. Um, which is why he's like, "Okay, like, like it gets to a point where they're like, he's shooting at helicopters, and you're like, what the fuck?" (laughs) It's. I mean, yeah, the set pieces in this movie are like. It's a pretty small movie, but it gets to some big, cool, exciting ideas, I think. This is one of my favorite, like, kind of slashery, like, horror movies. It's like a thriller. Yeah. It's like an action thriller that is also, like, a kind of psychological horror slasher. You know, like, it's it's really interesting. It's, It's cool. Um. Same year, 1986, he does a film called Wanted, Dead or Alive, uh, which he stars with uh, Gene Simmons. (laughs) Yeah. 
See, this is a movie that I don't think you have any interest in, but you tell me that Rucker Hauer and Gene Simmons starred in a movie together, and on the cover, Rucker Hauer's just holding a shotgun over his back. I'm in. We, I would have been fine watching this. I want to watch the shit out of this movie. <laughs> uh, bounty hunter Nick Randall is offered $250,000 by the CIA to get the terrorists behind the bombing of a Los Angeles movie theater. Yeah. Yep. Sounds great. Um, I want to watch the shit out of this movie right now. I mean, I think it's available. I think this was like a prime one. It's floating around on Tubi, I think. Oh, yeah. Um, he then does a TV movie called Escape from Sababor, uh, which is another World War II movie about like uh, a group of people escaping like one of the death camps. Wow. Um, and he star- he's in it with Alan Arkin. Interesting. Yeah, he did a lot of the these movies, I guess, about um, yeah. you know Nazi occupation. I think even is... later in his career, too. It's yeah. interesting. Um, in 1988, he does a film called The Legend of the Holy Drinker, which was an Italian film. Uh, an alcoholic homeless man is given 200 francs by a stranger who requests that when he can, he will return the money to St. Teresa in the cathedral. This one is also uh, streaming. Um, yes. One of the ones that was available to us and we just didn't get the time to watch. Um, he then does a film called Bloodhounds of Broadway, a comedy drama with Madonna. Uh, and he then does, in 1989, a film called Blind Fury, uh, which we watched, which is another one of his favorite movies that he did, which I think is really interesting. That is really interesting. Uh, so yeah, Blind Fury is a movie where Rucker Hauer is in uh, Vietnam, mm-hmm. and he is blinded in like some sort of firefight and left for dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, but these Vietnamese people, this like group, take him in and like teach him how to like just survive as a blind man but also fight as a blind man they, so he becomes the swordsman they very specifically teach him how to be a master swordsman yeah it's it, and it's like a weird montage of them teaching him all this in like the first like five minutes of yeah the they're fucking throwing fruit at him while he's you know blind yeah. holding a sword and having a swing yeah. at it and stuff but then it kind of becomes like this weird so it becomes like a weird road trip movie yes um who's the the dad in this so he like has to help this man he was he served in the army with terry o'quinn terry o'quinn the who stepfather goes, himself he went by terrence 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 o'quinn, o'quinn which uh, boy, Terry, I gotta tell you, I appreciate the flex, but you were flexing for the wrong role, my man. This, this, this role required square, yeah, <laughs> this role required Terry O'Quinn, not Terrence O'Quinn. I know. Um, yeah, he like kind of plays a square, and he gets into trouble, and uh, this like group of people are trying to like capture his family, and so Rucker Hauer like steps in to help and. Is is doing like this weird like we talked about it a little bit. It's got a lot of comedy beats in it. Yes. Like it is trying to kind of be this like comedy drama. Yes. Uh, and also like a weird buddy road trip movie where it's like Rucker Hauer and this man's son. Uh, that he's like trying to deliver to him. Yeah. Um, but it's it's also like got some sort of like Jackie Chan vibes to it yeah. in the way they're trying to pull off like the action where it's like because he's a blind man, he's like fighting, but it's kind of like happenstance and he gets lucky with just how things line up and it doesn't quite work, but it's definitely what they're going for is for this to be sort of like a American Jackie Chan movie. Kind of, yeah. There's yeah. like there's this fun element to uh, his character where he knows people are going to underestimate him because he's blind. Yes. So he will play into that. But then the movie is a little tonally confusing where then sometimes yeah. it seems like he does actually just make mistakes because he's yeah. blind. 
and it's like unclear when he's making a mistake to fool someone into thinking yeah. he's incapable and when he just is actually ma- it's yeah. it's strange but um, he's pretty fun and funny yeah. in it and he, like it's weird too because it's got like the tonal stuff you mentioned like at times I when I think about this movie I'm like oh yeah it's kind of like a fun family movie mm-hmm. but then like it's really bloody like yes. he chops a man's hand off like really early into the film and you're like fuck yeah. okay it, yeah. it is a, a weird tonal mishmash because definitely the road trip elements with the kid yeah. feel like a like a movie i've seen and you know there were a lot of 90s movies weirdly about like you know a, yeah. a, a man and a boy having to take a road trip together uh-huh. uh and like it feels like those, which were yeah. often like family comedies. Yeah. And it has that vibe, but then the movie otherwise has these like kind of like, you know, uh, uh, graphic action yeah. elements. He and... murders a bunch of people in like a corn field. Yeah. It's so strange. Yeah. And, and like he ditches the kid like halfway through too, right? Like, oh, yeah. As they move into the like, hey, the end game is going to be a violent action scene, they're like, all right, well, we got to get rid of the kid in the plot line. Yeah. The so kid just, is like... in a safe place yeah, now. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's like, it is weird. I wish I liked this movie more because there's a lot to like about this movie. Mm-hmm. But the reason people should watch it, I, I it's specifically for the reason we're here, is Rucker. Mm-hmm. Because, like, having watched a bunch of his movies now, he often, it seems like, and especially in American movies, um, directors are trading on his ability to be kind of villainous. He yeah. plays very good villains. Mm-hmm. He's really good at seeming threatening. He, yeah does this kind of like quiet threatening thing really well. Yeah, he does that like weird psycho thing. Yeah. yeah. And this movie is very much a smiling, happy, heroic Rucker Hauer mm-hmm. in a way that I've not really seen him utilized otherwise personally. Yeah. And he's really good. Like he's very good yeah. in it. Um, I, and I actually think he's doing a lot of good work. I mean, actor in a blind role is kind of a funny, weird Hollywood trope. Yeah. Um, but I think he seems to be working pretty hard to uh, bring some legitimacy to that in his performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I kind of liked him in it a lot. Um, I have a quote here, which I think is really funny and ties into this movie uh, from one of his interviews. He goes, I think I'm a comedian at heart, but where <laughs> it plays out on people's sense of humor, I really haven't done it. I've done two films that it that had it. Blind Fury had it, and there was another film, uh, and he like can't remember what it was called, that he like starred in with Mimi Rogers. Uh, two films where I got to play the situation of stupidity, let's say, and I love it. There's nothing like comedy. When you dance on the sense of humor of people, that's pretty high up for me, but I don't get a chance to work in that area. So I think it's funny that he like because he does have a layer of comedy in a lot of things yeah. that we've seen him in. I think he is weirdly funny, yes. uh, even when he's playing a villain. But it's it's funny that he's also drawn to that. And he goes, I kind of like playing these, like, doing these bumbling, funny, like, comedies. Yeah. Um, He then does a film called The Edge, a TV movie with Patricia Arquette and Bridget Fonda. Okay, okay. Uh, and then does another Italian movie called Up to Date, uh, about an American journalist who pretends to be infected with AIDS to investigate the syndrome and provoke a public reaction. Okay, that is a fucking wild plot line. It sounds, uh, yeah, a little, I'm not sure, but That's w- fascinating. Weird. yeah. 
Um, and then there he does a movie called The Blood of Heroes, which is the other Rucker Hauer movie that we started, and uh, the quality was really bad, and we turned it off. <laughs> yeah, another one where I, I double-checked. It really was pretty bad. Qu- like, just the quality of this movie is, is bad. Uh, you know, nobody seems to have a good, uh, a nice transfer of but this it's, movie. It's, from what we saw, I got the vibe that it's like a weird, like, Mad Max kind of ripoff. Um, it's, the movie is, is about, like, uh, in the future, where most of mankind and technology is wiped out. Six people travel from place to place playing a brutal form of football with a dog head. They hope one day to play in the league in a city. Uh, yeah, it's. I don't understand the game. We like watched the beginning, like where they're playing this game. It yeah. makes no sense to me. But there is a dog head involved. It's like a dog skull. Uh, so this is written and directed by David Webb Peoples, who is one of the credited writers on Blade Runner, mm. as well as the pseudo sequel to Blade Runner Soldier. Uh, he wrote Twelve Monkeys and Unforgiven. I mean, this guy is you know like a pretty known entity that yeah. definitely had some success. Um, um, but this is a fucking, I mean, I wanted to watch this movie cause the premise is so fucking crazy yeah. and like Vincent D'Onofrio's in this movie, Delroy Lindo, like there, it, it has an interesting cast and as it, well. Uh, it stars Joan Chen, who yeah. if you don't know her by name, uh, she is pretty, a pretty significant character in like the first season of Twin Peaks. Yes. Um, she is, I think it's Jody who like runs the, yeah, mill, right. Is mm-hmm. like running the mill cause right. her husband died. Um, and this is one of several movies that Rucker Howard stars with her in, which is fascinating. What an me. interesting pairing. Um, so yeah, once we get more into the nineties, uh, they do more stuff together. Um, so that kind of wraps up his like, uh, film career, but there is something we're going to talk about before we wrap up this episode episode uh because during the late 80s and early 90s i think it's from 1987 to 1994 rucker howard has a series of infamous guinness commercials that like aired in britain um and you can find them on youtube there's actually if you look up like rucker howard guinness we found a youtube video that's like 13 minutes long that just does like a supercut of a bunch of these different ones together and there were like what like 30 of them on there a bunch it was a lot because they're like 20 to 30 seconds each and uh, the campaign was called pure genius i gather based on the it was like every guinness commercial was you know a guinness commercial and then it just ended with a frame that just said pure genius they're all wild he's really great in all of them they're all very funny they all have like a very gothic tone also stay with me now for this but i was wondering why rucker howard was like because you know he's not british or you know anything i'm like why do they have him doing these like guinness commercials he looks like guinness what do you mean the white frothy top and then he's wearing black in all of the commercials oh my god i know it's weird but i thought of it today and i think that's why that it works i i mean i think you're right are you with me i'm totally with you that totally makes sense to me these so i wanted to look it up because i think that these guys must be like known for something but so these adverts were made by Ogilvy and Mather for Guinness, and I'm assuming those guys are are no are known entity in some way, and I'm just like not familiar with them. Yeah, um, because uh, that that it seems like this was a famous campaign. Uh, like Ryan told me today that Guinness was at one point like known for their advertising. That That's was like so fascinating. Something that they were known for. 
These are fucking insane. People need to Google this immediately. Yeah, it's it's so fun. I wrote down some of my favorite quotes from them. Yes. Uh, one of the first ones being, it's not easy being a dolphin. <laughs> uh, these are out of context, but they don't make sense in context either because it's like a 15-second commercial. Yeah. Um, and then one of them, he goes, let's talk about you, dot, dot, dot. Or let's not. <laughs> okay. That one is my favorite. It is a five second commercial for Guinness where he literally, he just, it cuts to Rucker Howard. Rucker, Rucker Howard says, let's talk about you. And then a Guinness comes into camera and then he says, on second thought, and then he sips the Guinness and he says, let's not. Yep. And then it just says pure genius. Uh, well, some of the other ones, it's okay. It's just a nightmare. Uh, not all black magic is jumbo mumbo jumbo. Yeah. Uh, he then in one of them delivers a message telepathically, so he just stares at you in the screen and is like, "If if you like, if you should get this message, you will." And then just stares at you. Uh, my favorite one was another one that's like four seconds long. Yeah. He's just standing in front of like a dinosaur statue. Yes, I loved that one. He's he's just standing in front of a dinosaur statue, and he says. If it didn't exist, you'd have to invent it. And then it says pure genius. Uh, the other one I brought up uh, was there's one where he is just like walking into famous paintings. Yes. And then at the end, he just goes, get the picture. Yeah. They're incredible. <laughs> also, by the end of this advertising campaign, uh, they're doing like CGI and yes. the froth of a Guinness is turning into the uh, an exploding galaxy, yeah. which then becomes a wristwatch that he's walking inside of. Yep. Like they get legitimately psychedelic by the end of the campaign. Yeah. And by the very end of the campaign, Rucker Hauer is only in like one frame of the yeah. campaign as a camera passes a TV that you see his face on, which oh. is like very funny to me that they start I as know. like starring Rucker Hauer. And by the end, it's like literally his face is on a TV within the commercial. Yep. There's also at least two of them where he has a twin. Yep. That he makes fun of because they're advertising like another like it's like Guinness Draft or right. something. It's like in a can. Yeah. Uh, they're hilarious. Again, it's on YouTube. You can find a supercut. It's like 13 minutes long. Yeah. And if you love Rucker Hauer, you'll like really appreciate. But, these in one of them, he implies that he's an alien. Yes. He says he's like upgrading by moving to Earth. I know. It's, it's like, yeah. Yeah. It's it, they're hilarious. awesome. They're yeah, really, like because really he talks about how amazing Mars is, and then he's upgrading, and that means like, oh, but I moved here because they had Guinness. Yes. <laughs> uh, I also really quick wanted to just talk about because I thought it was so funny. You found an interview clip with him mm -hmm. from 1982 from what appears to be like a cable access show called Reelin' in the Years. R-E-E-L-I-N, uh, Reelin' in the Years. He's wearing an owl sweater. He's wearing a crazy owl sweater. He looks like Dolph Lundgren in this. Oh, like, yeah. I've, I've never seen him look like this before, and he looks just like Dolph Lundgren to me. Uh, but the woman that's interviewing him like cannot talk. stop talking about how hot he is. She keeps like calling him really good-looking throughout the interview, and he like seems to be getting like increasingly comfortable with how like she only wants to talk about how he's like very good looking. Mm. Uh, and at some point, so she like can't stop talking about how good looking he is. And so then at some point, and he's like clearly getting uncomfortable. Yeah. She tries to change the subject and goes like, uh, so uh, you started making films in Holland. Do they, do they have a big film industry there? Is your film industry huge? She like, she literally like, 
she just cannot stop talking. She can't uh, get it out of her head how horny she is for Rucker Howard as yep. she's sitting there interviewing him. It's ridiculous. It's amazing. It was really funny. It's worth <laughs> looking up. Um, so yeah, that, that covers our first episode of Rucker and we'll, uh, be back to talk about his, uh, career onwards. Yeah. From the nineties onwards, uh, where he did some pretty weird and wild movies that I've seen a couple of. And, and did I'm... like some, some pretty well-known stuff too, yeah. which is interesting too. He's got like, you know, smaller roles in some, uh, some bigger stuff. So I'm pretty excited to talk about these. Uh... Yeah, me too. I'm, I'm really looking forward to, uh, getting into the, especially because I think there's a couple funny ones that we're yeah. going to get to, uh, cram in here in the next couple of days yeah for sure um so yeah uh you can find me everywhere on the internet at philadelphia that's with an f uh look up my letterbox i love writing reviews there i'm on moviejohn.com j-a-w-n and uh look up my other podcast i like to movie movie i'm victoria potenza or tori potenza on most things also writing stuff for movie john by the time this is up i should have a review for uh seance the simon barrett film uh which we watched the other night which was really fun um and uh yeah maybe some new Cronenbergs and stuff as well Um, so yeah check out my writing there yeah and uh, find Killer Bees ever on the internet at Killer BS Podcast yeah buzz buzz buzz